forevermore. I don't know about you, but uh, in this world of ours, uh, I need to hear that. I need to hear it fairly often. And uh, it's great to come and to be reminded of the incredible truths of our faith. Well, here comes the mirror. Perfect, perfect. Great. I want to ask you this morning, when you look into a mirror, um, what do you feel about what you see? You know, I suppose you did this this morning. I certainly did when I was shaving and brushing my teeth. And what, what's going on in your head and in your heart? But what shines back at you? You know, I look into this mirror, and the first thought that I have is, is there's something wrong with this mirror. <laughs> it seems somehow beveled in the middle so that my midsection is way too wide. You know, I look at this, uh, all this gray hair, and I'm convinced there's something wrong with the mirror because that just can't be. <laughs> all this extra skin <laughs> and wrinkles. Like, what's going on in there anyway? It certainly can't be me. It's got to be the mirror. Um, the reality is, I guess, is that I'm illustrating a point with this mirror, which will stay here through my talk. And is that there are some people who look, look in a mirror and they don't like what they see. They just don't. They don't feel good about what shines back at them, what is reflected toward them. Um, some people, even to the point of not liking to look in a mirror, I'm not going to ask you to identify yourselves, but I bet you there are people here who go, ooh, ah, <laughs> not what it used to be. And sometimes even when we're young, we look in the mirror and we see what we don't like to see. And then there are other people who look in a mirror, and they're at the opposite end of the spectrum. They love what they see. Like, they're just crazy about what's in there. You know, especially the, the, some of the guys who are at the gym, uh, you know, working out in front of that wall of mirrors. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, they're, 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 they're working away, but they, they got to be, the, oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of stand back and, you know, check self out. You know, that, that reality is, is very different. That's the kind of, the, 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 there's a kind of person who just sort of celebrate what they see. Uh, th this reality is caught up in, the, in a story uh, from Greek mythology about, about a young man named Nar Narcissus. 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 Uh, he's a very good-looking young guy, and he spurned the love of several young women in his, his growing up uh, experience and years, and and one day he, he was in the forest and he looked into a pool of very still water and he saw his reflection. Um, and he was so taken by how good-looking he was that he fell in love with himself. Um, so much so that he couldn't pull him away from that gaze, from gazing into the pool. And tragically, and this is the message, he spent the rest of his life there consumed with himself until he died. You get the idea, not really able to live because of self-love. Um, it's from this story get, we get the word narcissistic. Psychologists, psychiatrists have identified the narcissistic personal, personality disorder. It actually becomes really unhealthy at the extreme. It's people who just really are in love with themselves in an unhealthy way. So on the one hand, you have people who look in a mirror and they struggle 
to love self, if you would. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people who love themselves too much. I'm going to ask you today, which way do you lean on that spectrum? You know, where are you at in that? I'm bringing this up because I want to spend one more Sunday on Matthew 22, and I really feel led by God to, to preach this today. In Matthew 22, 37 to 39, we're going to project that. Um, well, I'll read it to you, and, and we're going to focus on the particular part of it. Here we go. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what I want to do um, is, is just remind you, first of all, about Jesus, his priority. He was asked what's the first and greatest commandment, and he told us, and that is to love God. You know, you want to know what God first and foremost wants for your life? Love him. And we have spent a whole Sunday on that. Love him with your whole being, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And I hope over the course of these now four weeks, you have grappled with this, I guess three going backwards. And I hope you're learning to love God more. I hope there's something happening in your heart some, that as you think about what's in your heart toward God, more and more and more, the, the answer to the question is love. Because you're awed and amazed by what God has done for you and his love for you. First and greatest commandment, Jesus said, love God. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and as, you know, seen, we defined it by seeing need in other people and then when you see the need, act. Do something for people who are hurting, as in the Good Samaritan story, you might remember. And the church called this, the early church, the apostles called this the law of Christ, which is to love. Um... So, again, what's in your heart toward God? And what's in your heart toward people? That's, that's huge in the mind of Jesus. But I want to focus today on this last little phrase, if we could put the second of those two screens back up, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to, I want to talk about what that means today, because what it means, means makes a big difference. Um, because the reality is there are people who don't like what they see in the mirror. What happens when we don't love ourselves very much? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I don't love myself very much, so I don't have to love my neighbor very much? Is that what Jesus is saying? No. But there are those folks, you know, when, when people consider themselves, think about themselves, not maybe in a physical way, but when they think about themselves as more of a negative response than a positive response, there's more of a self-critical stance than a self-affirming stance. I know I'm talking to people who live this. This is very common. You know, there, there, there's, uh, when we look at ourselves, there's this tendency toward condemning self rather than affirming or praising self. And at a deep level, there are people in this world who just don't like themselves very much and who are not happy with themselves. You know, these, these people, I would suggest to you, have, and I, I would include myself, if I have to lean way or the, one way or the other, I've never stood and done this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Been in gyms, but I just don't bother. I don't know. It's not my thing. But if, if I had to say where I was at in the spectrum, I lean toward the self-critical side of things. Um, and, and those folks, myself included, have some pretty deep needs in their lives. And, and when those needs exist, and when those needs aren't satisfied, what they, we do, is we give ourselves to trying to meet those needs, often in pretty unhealthy ways. Um, workaholism, for example, is one of those ways. I lived there for a long time. Thank God I don't anymore. Like, I just don't. 
He's done something incredible right here in me. And hard work isn't a problem, but when work becomes excessive to the point where we really harm ourselves emotionally, spiritually, we harm our relationships, there's a big problem with it. Very negative, destructive. But the idea is I'm going to work like a maniac and I'm going to prove my worth and my value to other people and to myself. I'm going to prove to this world that I'm okay because I have a need to do so. And then there are those who, will, who are people pleasers. And again, I could really once, and I sometimes fall into these things, but I think it's really changed. I used to be people pleaser. Can you imagine being a pastor and you get hundreds of people you're trying to please? It's craziness. <laughs> it's like the definition of insanity. You know, I lived there for quite a while. But this idea, I have to get people to like me so that they will then affirm who I am, tell me I'm okay. And then there's the perfectionism that sometimes the, the seeps into people's lives. And there is a deep belief in their hearts that in order to be accepted, I have to live a perfect life. It's just there. And the message is, you know, quite frankly, people maybe not, wouldn't say this, I certainly wouldn't have, but I don't like me very much, so I better live in such a way that other people will like me. Now tell me in that instance whose needs are at the forefront, whose needs are central in this person's life. I'd suggest to you their needs are central. Um, it's not so much about giving love, but it's about getting people to love me. Can you relate to this at all? And I want to tell you, that's not real love. You know, for, part of this dynamic is, you know, when you live as a workaholic or as a perfectionist or as a people-pleasing person, that takes in, it, uh, huge energy, huge demand is placed upon your life by yourself. And it's ex an exhausting way to live. And, and at the end of the day, the reality is you're fo so focused on getting your needs satisfied that there's not much left over to love other people. And I want to tell you, too, when it's really easy to look at yourself and to be negative and to be self-critical and even to be judgmental towards some folks, when you start to look at other people, it's really easy to be negative about them and to be critical of them and to be judgmental toward them. It's not love. You know, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, I can't imagine that this is the kind of love that he was describing. It's not what he wanted in our lives. He's meaning something really significant. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's not it. And then there are those who are like nar 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 narciss narcissists. 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 You know that Greek guy? And they love themselves. I didn't think I was going to have trouble with that one because I know that one, but all of a sudden... Well, anyway... This guy who loved, there are people like that fellow who love themselves just way too much, whose lives are focused on themselves and they are consumed by their own wants and their own needs. And I want to tell you, my friends, we can't assume that's what Jesus means when he says, love your neighbor as yourself also. See, these folks are so focused on their own lives, they literally struggle not just to meet the needs in the lives of other people, they struggle to even see the needs in the lives of other people. Think of Narcissus or whatever his name is. Can someone help me with that? Narcissus. Narcissus. There you go. Thank you. Narcissus. Think about that young guy staring in the pool. Who did he see? Only himself. There's nothing else in his scope of vision. He was captured by himself. 
Now, how loving can he be to other people? How much can he give and care and provide for and meet the need of other people? It's just not going to happen. Literally, all is tied up in self, and there is little room left over to love anybody or anything else. So what does it mean when Jesus says we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? How do we get ourselves to that place, and how can we love like that? Well, a couple of weeks ago, just briefly by review, we looked at Ephesians 5.29. And it's a text where G, uh, Paul is coaching husbands to love their wives. In that day, a radical teaching from the church, you know, those of, of Jesus. But he says, after all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies just as Christ does the church. And we, we drew the definition from it that basically as we, you know, when we're hungry, we feed ourselves. When we have a, 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 a hurt, a wound, a need in our lives, the most natural thing in the world is for us to go and meet the need. And that makes sense. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your wife as you love yourself. So if there's a need, go and address it. Take care of the need as if it was your own body. Well, I want to look at a few verses prior to this today, and it all ties together, but Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27, it's the same paragraph, it's the same Apostle Paul teaching husbands to love their wives, and he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Wow, powerful line, right? Jesus gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but listen, holy and blameless. Man, there's so much contained in those words, but basically it's saying this, without you know, spending our whole time on it. Jesus, it's saying, Jesus sacrificed himself from the church. Now, who was that? That's us. You know, we have come to this place, even by terminology in this culture, where we lose sight of what the church really is. We think of it sometimes as a building. That's not the biblical definition of church. Sometimes we think of it as an institution, and we're living in a world where anti-institutionalism is established. People don't trust government, and they don't trust you know, uh, business, and they don't trust the church as an institution because they think that's what it is. Now, do we need to be organized? Of course we do. But the church, first and foremost, is not an institution. It is people who are united in the faith of Jesus and passionately committed together to the cause of Christ in this world. You are the church. We are the church. It's people, the called ones who are called out of the world to be his. And what's being said here is that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross to make us holy and blameless, to make you holy and blameless in the sight of God. That's not talking about you being perfect in God's eyes, by the way, because you can never do that, nor can I. But in his, his view of you, he sees you through the cross. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as his, separated from the world to be his. And in, because of the death of Jesus, you are holy and blameless in the eyes of God. It's an amazing thing. It's almost like in this instance, you know, Paul is focusing us on Jesus and what Jesus has done and, and, and to what end. But he's saying that, you know what? Christ has acted in love. So husbands, love your wives in this way. In this instance, it's almost like Jesus' needs are not prominent. They're not present. Like they are so present in, in the mind of the self-critical one or they're so present in the, in the, one, in the mind and in the heart of the self-loving person. 
the narcissistic type to extremes. It's almost like his needs were not the powerful force in his life, so much so that he could act not for his own needs, of course, but for our need, entirely for the other. And that's love. That's godly love. That's Jesus-like love. That's a profound, life-changing love. Here's the secret. Here's the spiritual truth. We need to have our needs met in Jesus, each one of us. We need to have them fully addressed and fully satisfied so that we too can be freed from the need to meet our own needs, no matter where we are on this scale, to love other people. My friends, I want to tell you that can happen only through a relationship with God. You can try to have your needs met through another human being, and that will fail because they can't love you like God can love you. That's actually in, in a marriage relationship. Sometimes couples seek to do that. Love me. Tell me I'm okay. Satisfy my need for love. It's placing way too much of a burden on a spouse. No human being can do that, but God can in your life. See, we are born with these core needs. We're born with a need for significance. Somebody tell me I'm important significant, worthy, valuable. We, have, we were born with a need for belonging. It's not, it's not wired into us. Actually, the need is there unsatisfied. But tell me, where do I belong in this world? Where do I belong? We're born with a need for, for purpose. You know, why am I here? We're born with a need for security. <laughs> I need to know I'm safe. And we're born with a need for love. These are just some of those core loves, of course. But I want to tell you, my friends, we need, and here it is, we need a profound experience of God and the love of God so that these needs are deeply satisfied in our hearts, so much so that we no longer have them as the driving force of our lives. They're taken care of. And in that context, I want to tell you, we will be freed up to love God and to love our neighbor, and it'll be that which motivates us and forms the lives we live. This, when it's taken hold of, transforms people. Because the purpose of their lives, the underlying motivation and drive of their lives changes. It's not about me anymore, whether I like myself or whether I don't. <laughs> well, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, you know, it's so simple to say, but it's such a dynamic and powerful and profound truth. But let me say it simply. We have to in, in experience the reality of God in his word by his truth. We have to have that encounter with God. We have to have those moments where we experience the reality of God so profoundly that as Chuck Congram said about a month ago in this church, we go from believing that it's true that God loves us to actually knowing deep in our hearts that it's real that God loves us. And I bet you there are people here this morning, there are people who say, yeah, I know it's true that God loves me, but it hasn't become real to them yet. It hasn't taken hold of their hearts and their minds, and their whole lives. My friends, I want to tell you, as we encounter that love, we come to know we're loved, we come to know we're accepted, and we come to know that these needs are met. I have significance, because I'm significant. God. And I, I have belonging, because I belong in Him, and among His people. And I know I have purpose because God has called me to something and there is a purpose for my life and I'm going to chase after it until I fulfill it. And I know I have security because I know when he is with me, I am safe regardless. And I know I am loved, probably the deepest need of our lives. 
because God passionately loves me. See, in that instance, we realize that we don't need to be perfect. (laughs) Because God loves and accepts me, not because I am perfect, but because of the cross of Jesus. And my sin and my guilt went to the cross and that incredible central act of human history and it was taken care of so even though i'm imperfect it doesn't matter anymore because i'm loved and i am holy and blameless in the eyes of god i was at a retreat uh, early august and there was a little phrase that was spoken in, in, in teaching and i wrote it down i don't need to be perfect because i am, i know i am perfectly loved anybody here need to internalize that Write it down and say it to yourself every day until it's part of what you really believe. I don't need to be perfect because I know I am perfectly loved. That's the reality. That is truth that needs to seep into our souls. And then we'll recognize we don't need to prove our value and our, uh, and our worth through excessive work. We just won't need to because we know we are valuable and worthy in the eyes of the living God. And we'll come to a place in our lives where we don't need to people please because in order to gain our acceptance and even of ourselves because we know that Christ, in Christ we are accepted. It's a done deal. It's an established reality. So that kind of is a powerful truth when it's embraced for those who are self-critical. For the person that is more self-love oriented and self-focused, I want to tell you this, an experience of God, real and profound, enables such people to to take their eyes off themselves and place their gaze on the living God. Probably nothing, according, again, going back to that story in Greek mythology, could pull that young guy's gaze from his reflection in, in the pool. And I think this is generally true, except an encounter with the living God, where his eyes were opened to the God who was standing in his presence, so much so that he was awed by the beauty of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the love of God. I want to tell you in that instance, and go back again to the story, that young guy could have stood up and he could have walked away, no longer transfixed with himself because because his gaze was now filled with the reality of this incredible God whom he had come to know. You see, the object of our love becomes the Lord. It is no longer ourselves. And aware of God's love and filled by his spirit, we start to see the needs in the lives of other people, and then we start to love them too. I want to conclude uh, this morning by doing something with you. Um, but I want to, to, to first ask you a question that is heartfelt, um, and I hope for you it's very personal. The question is simply, do you know you were loved by God? Now, I'm not asking you whether you believe it is true that God loves you. I want you to really grapple with the question, do you know that you were loved by God? You know, have you had that, that moment or those moments when the Spirit of God has spoken in a profound way into your life and told you, convinced you that you were love, loved and that you were precious to the Lord and that you are His? 
Um, what I'm going to do is read a, a passage that I, have, I preached on a couple of years ago, and I've referred to a couple of times, so for some of you it won't be new at all. <clears throat> Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 4. But I want you uh, to listen and receive the truth of these words. I want you to let God speak to you. I'm going to suggest, if you wish, that you close your eyes as I read these, the, these verses and just comment as I go. Um, open your heart to the God who is here and let him speak to the deeper recesses of your being. Because in these words is the truth that will change you from being somewhat self-critical to being somewhat narcissistic or maybe a lot of one of those. And I just love for this to be one of those moments when you encounter God in his word and you are changed. So if you'd like, I'm going to read Isaiah 43, 1-4. Um, and um, if you'd like, close your eyes and open your heart to what is true. So listen, not just to me, but for the Spirit of God to speak into your life. But now, O Jacob, speaking, of course, to God's people then, it's the church which is God's people now, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you. My friends, even when you were being formed in your mother's womb, God was at work in you. He created you as you are. He formed you as you are. And he delights in you as you are. The passage goes on, it says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. You know, we look at that word ransom now through the eyes of those who have seen the cross. We see it from this side of the cross, and we know that the price that the Lord had to pay in order for you to be his was the death of his son, that you might be forgiven of your sin, that you might be brought into a relationship with him. I want you to hear and I want you to know that Jesus died for you. He gave his life for the church, for you. He loved you that much. He gave his life to make you holy and blameless sight. That's how much he loves you. And says, I have called you by name, and you are mine. God has called you into relationship with him. He called you to himself before you ever believed in him. He wants, wanted, and wants relationship with you. More than anything else, he wants to love you and be loved by you. He likes you. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. I have called you by name. He knows you personally. He knows your brokenness. He knows your woundedness. He knows your joy. He knows your challenges. He knows your fears. He knows because he's God, and he can and it says, you are mine. You're in Christ. You 
are his. And he is yours. The passage goes on to say, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through deep waters, those incredibly difficult and painful times in life, God promises you his presence. I will be with you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what happens in the life. The Lord who loves you with all of his heart will be right at your side. Right there. He'd never leave you alone because he loves you too much. And then he promises you his presence when you go through uh, his protection, I should say. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. See, God being with you will act for your protection no matter what happens to your life, in your life. He will keep you safe. He will keep you safe through those difficult and challenging times, regardless of the challenges which might come. And it says, For I am the Lord, Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do you understand that He's your God? That He's your Savior? Personalize that if you're His. He's yours. And He always will be. As I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom, I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for you because you are precious to me, you are honored, and I love you. My goodness, what power in those words. The word of God says that you are precious. You are, every single one of you. You're of great value the living God. It says, you are honored. Even to bear the name of Jesus, to call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, God has given you distinction. He has honored you, raised you up, given you this place of significance. He has honored you. And then, lastly, I love you. I don't know what happened in your heart right now, but you either accepted or rejected God's word. I want to tell you, my friends, the reality is whether you accept it or not, God loves you. He is deeply committed to you. He delights in you. He wants relationship with you. He is and always will be with you. He will protect you. He loves you. And he always will. My friends, here's the deal. You come to really believe these things. You come to a point in your life where it's not just true, but it's real. When you come to accept these things that God speaks to us through his word, this will change your life. And you will not spend your life, no matter where you are on the spectrum, running around trying to satisfy the deeper needs of your life because they will be met in Jesus. And you will be freed up 
from meeting those needs to see to love other people. It was this what Jesus was talking about when he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, in this instance, we can just sit back and go, you know what, I'm okay. God loves me, so I love me too. So let's go love people. Let's go represent Jesus and the love of God to this world of ours. Let me live my life to that end like Jesus did. At the end of the day, we will look in the mirror, such as this, and we'll go, okay, I kind of like what I see. I'm not going to get consumed with it. God loves me. So do I. God accepts me, so I do too. God delights in me. I must be. My friends, solution as always is found in Christ in our relationship with him so I say to you as I have through this series I, as I, I suppose yeah I love God but let him love you too believe it with all of your heart and then go and love other people in his name that's what Jesus did Let's pray. Lord, these really are profound realities that we've been speaking of today. These are things which are at the core of our lives. Unmet needs will cause us to race around in this world, sometimes for our whole lives, in a fruitless, unsatisfying search for significance and acceptance and love. But Lord, when we can really take a hold of what your word says about your heart toward us, we're freed from ourselves in order to love as you love us. So Lord, I would pray for every person in this auditorium this morning. I pray your blessing on them, Father. I pray you will bless them with the knowledge of your heart toward them. I pray that you will speak not only this morning but many days of your love for them and speak it into their hearts so they can really believe with everything in them how you are, how they are precious to you, how you delight in them, how they are the people you have formed them to be. How, Lord, they are safe and secure in you. How, Lord, they have belonging in you. How, Lord... All their deepest needs are met simply in a knowledge of your love for them. And Father, as you work this miracle in us, as this expression of the people of God, transform us so that we can become like Jesus, freed up, simply see and need, meet the needs in the lives of other people. Lord God, help us to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. But too, Lord, help us to understand that we are loved by you, so that we can love our neighbor. God, this we pray.